Okay. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Tim, and I'm one of the deacons here at BC. And uh, hi, Joe. And uh, so one of the things that, uh, that we usually do here at BC is um, every other week we have uh, Kids Connect where kids go out and uh, have some time to, to learn about scripture and uh, to learn from other uh, believers and, and have some time together. And then on the opposite weeks, then they stay in here. And so uh, we, we start the sermon part with uh, kind of addressing them and helping them. So this morning, where are all of the kids at? Let me see. I've got most of them right down the middle. So I'm sneaking. All right. So um, in, in this passage, we are in Psalm 8 today. And um, there are a couple of words in here that as we're going through it, I want to make sure that you guys know what these words are. And then once you know what they are, then maybe you can help your parents to know and remember what these words are. All right. Does that sound good? All right. So the first is majesty or majestic. Does anyone know what that means? Zaley? So it's like amazing or something like that. Does everyone agree? Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it means like amazing or something like that, um, that, that you see something and it just amazes you. Um, and it also can have another meaning that has a little bit more. Does anyone have any other thoughts of what the other been? crazy maybe like it's so so amazing that you think it's crazy royal okay so there's the other part is majesty also has to do with like royalty that so who, who would you call your majesty the queen of england okay so yeah it has kind of this this dual purpose of a word, right? So it can, it can mean that it, it's something that amazes you, but it's also something that maybe that, that you, you serve and you're, you're under. And then uh, the second here is avenger. What is an avenger? Anyone? With a, a superhero? All right. So you, you hear the word avenger, you think of the avengers? Right? So why are they called the Avengers? Marshall? Because they're superheroes, yeah. Sailey? Yeah, that was, that was my first thought. Has is, is anyone ever told you don't define a word with the word? Because that was the first, my first thought is, well, an avenger is someone who seeks vengeance. And okay, well, yeah, we knew that. So <clears throat> here's a definition of vengeance is punishment inflicted in retaliation for an injury or offense. 
retribution with great force or vehemence undertook to perform with a vengeance. So even the dictionary is using the word to define the word there. <laughs> but so when we read that, just know that that's not talking about the Avengers, but it's talking about someone who seeks to inflict punishment upon someone in retaliation or it's in this passage, a, a bad guy, someone who's trying to hurt someone over something. All right, so now that you have, have those two words down, have, have any of you ever had like a snowball fight or you have like a video game where there's some kind of fight and you, you have to build something strong to keep you safe? Right? So have you, have you played, like, had a snowball fight and you have to, like, build a little snowball fort or paintball or, um, I don't know, anything? Right? So, so you guys have done that? If you had to do that, if, if you have to build a fort or something to keep you safe, what would you use? Ben? Steel. Steel? Stuff that can't break at all. Huh? Brick. Okay. Anyone else? Mona. You would use people. <laughs> yeah, I think Mona already heard the passage. So. If, if you had to build something strong to keep everyone safe, or let's say, you know, a bad guy is going to break into your house and you had, to, you had to build something to keep you guys safe, would you put up a bunch of crying babies? All right. How many of you have a little, little brother or sister? Still someone that's real little, all right? And when they're, when they're learning how to talk and they, they, they babble and, and make little cooing sounds and stuff, would you use them to protect you and your family? No, why not? <laughs> Ramona says she would because no one would dare hurt a baby. So. They, they might. If it's a bad guy, it might hurt a baby. Depends on how bad they are, huh? All right. So anyway, and we're, we're going to read the passage here in just a minute. But what we see in this is that God takes care of people who are poor and afflicted. And when he does, he chooses to make his stronghold out of babbling babies. And so then we're going to figure out why. And if you don't catch that in there, then ask your mom and dad afterwards and see if they figured out why. So you can test them. All right, so real quick, before we read the passage, I'm gonna talk about in, uh, when we're reading Psalms, uh, one of the things to understand when, when you read any specific Psalm is understanding where that Psalm fits in within the, the greater book, because even though there, there's you know 151 Psalms, or 150, whatever, they're, they're in there, not just like, okay, and then we threw them in, and here's this one, and here's this one, and I found this one, and I put, but 
as, as they're putting together scripture, they're placing those in there in very specific ways to teach us different things. And so one of the ways that they do that is, is the book of Psalms basically has four different books. And so way back a long time ago, they would have had four different scrolls that they pulled out. And when they started a new one, they would know this is this book and this book has a very specific thing that it's trying to talk about. And so the first book of the book of Psalms is, is Psalm 1 through 41. Now, in book one, uh, there are little minor sections that that book is broken up to, and it's broken up into four minor sections. And then also a little bitty intro at the very beginning of that, which is Psalm 1 and 2. And so then the second portion of the first book is Psalms 3 through 14. And so this is the section that we're in. And Psalms 3 through 14 is broken up into 3 through 7 and 9 through 14. Are, there's, there's five psalms here and there's five psalms here. And the first five, 3 through 7, is five poems about King David running from his enemies and about how King David is going to rule over his enemies. And seven through, or, uh, 9 through 14 is another five poems. And this is David writing poems about how he has to uh, it, it, how, sorry, I jumped back. Uh, so these five poems is him talking about the poor and the oppressed and the afflicted ones and about needing God. And so we've got King David having to run and then King David also talking about the poor and the needy. And at the center of this is Psalm 8, which is uh, God being mighty and powerful and overcoming enemies and working through man and sharing his glory and honor with them. So David running, scared. He's not being able to be the mighty king. David talking about other people who are scared and afflicted and downtrodden. And then also that intro, Psalms 1 and 2, is, is the introduction to all of Psalms. And Psalm 1 and 2 is talking about that God is going to raise up a mighty Messiah. And so these are all placed here very specifically to tell us this is what's going on. God is going to raise up a Messiah. Here's the poor, the needy, the afflicted ones. The, the, the king of Israel is, is having to run away and he's scared and he needs God. And so here right in the very middle is this passage that says, God is the ruler of all. God is going to create a stronghold. God is going to help the poor, the needy, the afflicted. So in Psalm 8, it says, To the choir master according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. 
all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, so uh, the, the first thing that we notice here is it, it starts and ends with the same phrase, right? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the, the chapter is, is bookended by these identical phrases. And so anytime when, when we're reading scripture and we see something like this, that, that's the author telling us, basically, here's, here's some parentheses, is this phrase. And so everything with contained between these two identical phrases is going to be talking about or fleshing out this idea of what I just told you. So Psalms 8 is about the Lord and how his name is majestic in all the earth. And now he's going to tell us how that happens and why it's important. So majestic, as I said with the kids, I think this is a term at as Americans, doesn't quite have the same hold on us because we don't view royalty and majesty in in the same way that people uh, in other parts of the world would. Um, but this this word and, and some other translations and other passages can be translated as mighty and excellent, magnificent, powerful, awesome. Uh, basically, it's it's saying that Yahweh's name is powerful and esteemed in all of creation. So then the rest of this passage is, is going to tell us how his name is exalted in and through all of creation. So it says that uh, you have set your glory above the heavens. And so glory, is honor, splendor, beauty, God's glory and honor is on display in the earth and above the earth and, and his glory is higher than the heavens itself. So there's, there's nothing more powerful, more glorious, more on display in anything in the world than, than God's name. And God's name is seen everywhere and in everything. And he's saying it's, uh, it, it's, it's above the heavens. Like if you're here and you're looking up, like no, nothing could be higher than God's name itself. So, verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So, verse 2 here is, uh, is the first place where this, this passage starts going sideways. I know uh, when, when I sit down to, to try to work on a sermon, the first thing I do is I, I read through the passage and then I just write down all the questions that come to me. And that's the, the first question that comes to me is, well, why is God established strength through babbling babies? Like, why, why is that important? Why is it small children and infants? Like, and, and this is David writing this, being scared, saying he's on the run. Like, why isn't David like, you know, God establishes his strength through, through the mountains and thunderbolts and all of creation and storms and he just wipes my enemies away and he's so strong and I have nothing to worry about. Um, 
So Yahweh is, is glorious. He's the creator of everything, and his glory and splendor is on display in all of these mighty things like oceans and mountains and stars. But it, he chooses that it's, it's through the mouth of babies and small children that he establishes his strength. And so again, my thoughts just, what? Like, why? And why, why does that make any sense? And why, why does God choose to work that way? Um, so the first thing here is that uh, in, in this passage, he says, he says babies and infants. And so right there in that passage, that stands in, in stark contrast to enemy and avenger. So David is first saying that, that God is, is so powerful that he doesn't need to rely on, on big, powerful things to defeat his enemies. He can easily do it through the weakest things that you could imagine. You know, he, he, he doesn't need this big, powerful army that roams out and conquers everyone. But when, when God chooses to win a battle, sometimes it's, he's telling people to march around and make music. Like, that, that he doesn't choose to use the, the strong, powerful things to show his power because he doesn't need to. So, then my next question in here was, was who are the helpless, the afflicted ones? Like, who, who are the people that, that we see in the Old Testament, the helpless, the afflicted ones, the people who have no power to save themselves, who, when they cry out to God, he promises to deliver them, and he will be their refuge? Who is that? Anyone? So, it's, it's Israel. Like, over and over, God shows in, in the Old Testament that, um, that the people of Israel, his, his chosen people, the people that he calls to himself, don't, don't become like this huge, powerful army with strong leaders that crushes everyone who, who dares come before him, but they're a small, weak tribe of people who, when he sends them to battle, he he chooses to win battles in, in strange ways. And whenever they, they call on the name of the Lord, they win. And whenever they try to do everything under their own might, they don't. And, um, and so over and over, like God's people through the Bible are the, the weak, the afflicted ones, the people who have to rely on the name of God to win anything. And over and over, when they do cry out to him, he hears them and he helps them. So God uses the weak and the humble who speak his name. David is the king of Israel. He is, he's recognizing that the Israelites, again, they're, they're small, they're weak compared to the, the Babylonians or the Assyrians who have these massive armies. And yet, if the name of God were to remain on their lips, God would use them like babbling babies. Verse 3 through 6 we see, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. So here he's saying that, that the work of, of God's finger is, is up in the night sky. It's, it's the moon. It's the stars. And so uh, for, for the ancient uh, Hebrew people, they, they would have recognized that the, the stars aren't like 
to them, like to us, when we see the stars, we think that's a burning gas ball a billion miles away. Like, but to them, they looked up and they saw the stars, and they saw the stars as, as the heavenly hosts, that each one of these, these bright things up in the sky is a, is a representation of, of, these, uh, of, the, of the heavenly creation, of the, the heavenly host, the, the Elohim. So he, they're, they're recognizing that, that God has these other created beings that, that he shares his glory with. And so just like God shares his glory with, with the, the angels, the heavenly hosts that are up in heaven, God chooses to share his glory with man as well. So even though we're not the, the bright star up in the heavens, we're the creature made out of dirt that doesn't live a long time and dies easily, that, that God chooses to share his, his glory and honor with us. So, you have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So, in, in what way does God partner with man? So, he has given him dominion over the work of God's hand here on earth. So, David here, he's... he's uh, He's recalling the Genesis 1 creation story. He's saying that, that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And then he, he creates man from dirt. And yet, he elevates man. And he puts him over all the other creatures that he's created. And he makes man in his own image. And he communes with him. And he, and he talks with them. And he puts them in this place of authority over the rest of the creation. And then he, he gives them the task of subduing the earth and populating the earth and, and being in charge of this amazing focal point of the creation that, that God has made. And so one thing that we, we see clearly here in Psalm 8 is that God shares his work and his glory and that God chooses peculiar and, and seemingly weak things to do so. And so Psalm 8, like I said, it, it sits here right between, between these two chunks about weak and afflicted and powerless people crying out to God. And then it was preceded by those, those first two chapters talking about the coming Messiah. And so the New Testament uh, writers and Jesus himself, they, they riff off of Psalm 8 over and over in the New Testament and they, they reflect this peculiar way that God chooses to use the weak and through which to display his majesty. And the first thing I'm going to say is I'm going to cover several different passages here, but I don't cover every single time that Psalm 8 is referenced in the New Testament because it was just too long. And so I don't want to be the person that is keeping you from going out to dinner with your dad. So... If I miss the one that is most important to you, we can talk afterwards or talk in more depth about it. But in, in Matthew 21, Matthew is talking about uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's sending his uh, disciples to go get a donkey for him to ride on. And then Matthew says that this took place to fulfill a prophecy in Zechariah. And so then Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem as their king. But um, he comes riding on a donkey. 
And the people, are, the people that are hailing him as king are not the rich and the powerful and the spiritual leaders, but the poor and the afflicted and the children. The point being here that the king is coming through humility and lowliness. And it says um, that, uh, but when the chiefs and the priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? And out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So the children are crying out to Jesus. They're recognizing him as the son of David, the Messiah. And the religious leaders, the, the Bible scholars of the day, they, uh, they're shocked and they turn to Jesus and they say, don't you hear what they're saying? And as if to say to Jesus that, that these children are wrong to call you this and why aren't you correcting them? And so Jesus' response here is golden. He, he replies back to these religious leaders, these Bible scholars, and says, I mean, have you not ever read the Bible? Like, <laughs> have, have you not read Psalm 8? And so he, he's quoting Psalm 8, and he's saying the whole point of, of Psalm 8, if you understood it, would to know that God, God's plan was for me to come in humility and to defeat the enemy through babies and the insignificant. And so... These children calling out and calling me the Messiah is not something to be corrected, but it was something that the God planned and said thousands of years ago that this is going to happen. So um, Jesus continually spoke that his kingdom was not one of power and strength, but that the kingdom of heaven was, was one turned on his was one turned on its head. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven will belong to the poor and the, the poor in spirit and the persecuted, that the meek will be the ones who will inherit the earth. And Jesus chooses to work through those that the world views as, as weak and foolish. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29, it says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So again, God chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses that which the world sees as invaluable to do his work. In Matthew 18, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, and he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, If, if you want to be great, in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. Be humble, be small. Don't seek position or power. God chooses, again, to use those who are weak, who are discarded to do his work. 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, 21 through 28, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. I know (laughs) the way that Paul writes that is does not flow great (laughs) and it's super confusing to follow along. But he's saying essentially that uh, he, he's, he's calling back to Psalm 8 and, and saying that in Jesus, all things are being put under him, subjected to him, under his dominion, underneath all of its enemies have been put under his feet. And uh, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Son of Man in Psalm 8. And so Jesus, like a new Adam, um, is, is the ultimate man, and the promises of Psalm 8 that, that were made to man are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And all things are under his feet, and he has dominion over all things, including death itself. So, as, as I was uh, reading through the First Corinthians, like it, and, and he's, he's quoting those things from Psalm 8, but I, I was also thinking, like, I think... As, as Paul is writing this, he's probably also thinking of, of Daniel 7, where Daniel sees the throne of God, the Ancient of Days. And in this, uh, he says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then in verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So Paul is calling on this promise that that the Son of Man will reign perfectly and he will have everlasting dominion over all things and yet he will give this dominion to the people, the saints of the Most High. And so over and over we see that that the Messiah, that the Son of Man, that that Jesus is, is going to rule perfectly over all things, all things subjected to him. But over and over, we also see that even though he is going to do this, that he chooses to pass along some of that, that, that dominion, that rule, that, that honor to us as well. In, in Ephesians 1, it says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? 
according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so this, this is the part that uh, for us, I think, is, is, is most exciting, is, is the, the part for, for us as, as believers in the New Testament to understand in Psalm 8 is that, um, that Christ is the ruler over all, that, uh, that he will fill the whole earth with his dominion, that there will not be anywhere in all of creation where Christ will not reign as king, that there will not be one square inch of anything where there, there is um, darkness and, and his power does not rule over all. But the fullness of that reign is exercised by his body, which is the church, which is us. It's, it's the, the people that, that God calls to himself, the people that, that, that live as his body, the, the New Testament believers, like we are the body of God. So in Christ, man, as the church and the body of Christ, is restored to his dominion over the works of God's hands. So in Genesis 1, God creates man and he tells them, I, I give you dominion over all things, over, over the whole earth, over the, the birds over the animals that crawl, over the fish that swim in the sea, over all things, I place you in dominion. And man sins and things go awry. And as we know now, we don't have complete dominion over that, you know? Like, go to a wild bear and try to show its dominion, and it's going to show you that it's not that way right now. So in, in this, that the Jesus... We, we have that, that, that tension that we talk about a lot that, that, um, that, that now, and, and uh, my mind's blanking how we say that, but that um, Jesus has dominion over all things now, but in the future, it's, it'll, it'll be fulfilled in another way. And so, um, uh, like Daniel was, was reading in, in Revelation, like in the end, God reigns supremely over all and a different way than he is reigning supremely over all now, and, and all sin is defeated, and death is defeated, and even in that, he is going to choose through, through us, through believers, through his body, his bride, the church, he is going to rule. And so, again, so who is man that God is mindful of him? We are nothing in comparison to the splendor and glory of God, yet... He desires relationship with us. Christ shed his glory and he came to earth as a babbling baby. He lived a perfect life. He was executed and shamed and despised on our behalf. And he was raised from the dead. And he sits as king over all. And all is under his dominion. And yet, through all of that, he calls us the lowly, the rejected, to him. He seeks to have us to be his body, 
and yet he wants to share his glory and honor and dominion with us as his co-heirs. And so my, my charge to you today is, is take that call seriously. If, if you're someone who has not surrendered your life to Christ and cannot be called part of that body, then do so and, and take that seriously. And, and if you have, also take it seriously that, that we're not just Christians, we're not just, you know, saved from hell, but, but that Christ has, has an amazing plan for us, and, and he, his call is not just for us, you know, to, to fight against sin and, and do some things right now, but his, his call is he wants to share his glory and his honor and his dominion over all things with us. So... Have, have the name of Yahweh on your lips. Have God's name on your lips. Because that's, that's what he says there in, in Psalm 8. Is, um, is that, that when our, our name is on his lips, he will, he will save us. And, so, and, uh, and then proclaim that our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And let that be what we proclaim today. Let that be what we proclaim in the future. And in the end of all things, like when, when Christ returns and all things are made new, like that, that will be our, um, our call. That, that, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So let's pray. Father, we, um, we love you and, and thank you um, we thank you so much that that uh, salvation does does not rely on us being mighty and powerful and able to to do great things lord but but that your desire is to call those who are weak and needy and afflicted and broken to you and lord that's that's what we were and it's what we are lord that that we cannot do anything without you that without you we are like weak babbling babies who who need you for everything and we ask that, that you would remind us that daily that um that we can't take our next breath without you that we can't do anything without you and that your name would be on our lips always and that uh that we would take that that charge seriously that that your desire is not just to save us but your desire for us is, is so much greater and that, that we, would, um, we would realize that and accept that and, and, and take up that call, Lord, that, that our desire would be to show the, the weak and the needy and the afflicted and the downtrodden around us that there is so much more, that, um, that you are the one who, who gives... Um, stronghold to everyone who is afflicted, to everyone who, um, who is fighting against sin, to everyone who is depressed or lonely or scared in whatever situation, Lord, that, that they can turn to you, that they can have your name on their lips and that they can have salvation, that they can be made new and be made whole. And Father, um, as, as your body, as your church, we pray that, that you would move within this body, Lord, that, that we would seek to serve you, to exalt your name in everything, and, and that we would, um, 
we would make your name known to everyone in our community and um, that we would just praise you and give you glory and honor in everything that we do as individuals and as a community. And we pray this in your name. Amen.